Good morning. It's good to be here with you guys today. Uh, it's my pleasure to work through Psalms 48. Uh, it's a great psalm. It's a, it's a challenging psalm, but I hope to make it simple. Uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we rejoice because of who you are, because you are great. You alone are God. You alone are worthy of everlasting praise, God. Um, absolute devotion. God, we thank you for your church. We declare right here, right now, that you are great. Forgive us whenever we don't think that way, God. Challenge us and help us with the mundane attitudes that we bring to worship. Um, God, we thank you for your protection. Most of all, Father, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for the sinless life and death and resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, I've left, I've got Psalms uh, 48 verses 13 and 14 up here on the screen. I want this to be up here for a reason. We're going to work through it backwards a little bit, but I think this theme right here is really pertinent. It's really important. Tell the next generation. That's the command in this verse, and I think it's sweet that we have the kids in here today, uh, and this was my assignment. So kids, I want to welcome you personally into church. Thank you for being here. This is where you're supposed to be. So if you haven't done anything right this morning, you've got this right. So kids, I, I, I love the reward good behavior. Right? So kids, I want you guys to take your right hand up. All of you, right hand or left, it doesn't matter. We've got ambidextrous kids here. It's all good. Right, take your right hand, put it up in the air. Now pat yourself on the back. Right? You've done a good thing by being in church. As a Christian... All your life on this earth, it will be your duty to be in church on Sunday morning. Right? Amen. Parents, you're here too. Something tells me that you didn't give your kids a choice. Right? And good for you. Right? So parents, if you're here this morning, I want you guys to take your right hand up. And pat yourselves on the back. And if you're next to your spouse, give them a high five. Right? Good work. As a parent, there is nothing more important than raising your kids in the faith. Nothing. If you're here and you're a parent, you're doing your duty. You're doing the telling. And what do we tell them? That this is our God. This is our guide. And there's no one like our God. Keep the faith. Now, kids, back to you. Kids, you're on the hot seat this morning. All right, kids, I want you guys to envision this. All right, close your eyes if you have to. Peter, Lucy, Josh, Riker, Maddie, Annabelle, Abe. Picture this. Jacob, someday, I'm not a prophet, but someday, I suspect that you're going to be moms and dads, husbands and wives. And it will be your job, your number one job, to wake up on Sunday morning and get your kids to church and to raise your kids in the faith. It might be five years for some of you. Maybe, I hope not, maybe five years, right? Maybe 10, maybe 20. But someday, I just had this sneaking suspicion that it will be your job and you will be on, in your parents' shoes today, raising your kids in the faith someday. Who's going to tell your kids if you don't? TikTok? The internet? Maybe it's always been this way, but I think that we live in a time where you can't trust hardly anything that you hear about God. 
You have to check it against the Bible, check it against somebody that you trust, and check it against what your church is telling you, right? A church is going to be a great benefit for your life. I say it again, a Christian needs to be in church. That's where we belong, not just at church for an hour, but in the church, helping, putting up signs like Leo did this morning, helping with the slides, putting away chairs like some of you guys do, going to King's Kids, going to Water Wars. Someday you'll be taking your kids to those things. And there's such a benefit to it. The church will help your life. It will tell you about big decisions that you have to make. It will help your marriage. It will teach you about the Bible. It's where we come together and worship God. We need to be in church. And this church has been a huge benefit for us. One of the benefits that a church will be for you is to pray for you. We have a God who hears our prayers. I see the kids' prayer requests. On a, I get it probably on Thursday through my email. And I see the kids' prayer requests, and they're so sweet. They say, pray for the babies. Pray for my teacher. Uh, help me with my stress, my anxiety. Help me obey my parents. Help me get along with my siblings. Help me with band camp, baseball. There's nothing too big or too small for you to put on those prayer cards. right? I know that God hears our prayers and and I'm thankful to have a church that prays for us. If you've seen the Blaylock family's prayer cards, we've been putting on there for the past two or three months to pray for my dad. Um, and it's been a roller coaster. Um, it, it's, it's got a happy ending for now. Um, I want to thank, right, I, I want to take this opportunity to thank my church for praying for our family. It means a lot. And I know God heard your prayers and it has helped. Everything's not perfect, but everything's gotten better progressively. The best thing about it is, is I could just see the joy of the Lord in my dad's life. Um, his life was not good. He couldn't get up. He couldn't go to the bathroom. He couldn't stay awake. He had big medical problems. But throughout all that, it just seems that God was restoring him the joy of his salvation. Our God is good. He's home now. He can get up on his own. And... I know your prayers helped. They helped us just navigate the situation. It was hard on all of us, hard on my mom, hard on my dad, but he's home and he's getting better. So praise God. Thank you for that. He'll probably hear this. So love you, dad. Right. Um, while we were at the hospital, one of the benefits of belonging to this church was Jake came to visit me and Jake didn't have any special three-step process or advice to give me. There was, there was, in his defense, there was nothing he could say, but he came there and he was with me and we talked and we laughed. And he ate some gross horseradish grippos. Um, and he was just there for me. And it meant a lot. Thanks, Jake. I appreciate it. A church will do that for you. Kids, you need to be in church. Parents, keep bringing your kids to church. It will benefit you all the days of your life on this earth. One, I want to tell a short story. One night, we were visiting my dad. It was me, my wife, and my son, we were in the hospital. Dad had just gotten out of the ICU. He had just come off a ventilator. Uh, he was starting to breathe on his own, and it was tough. There was a lot of uncertainty. He had just he stepped down out of the ICU unit, and he was in this unit. I don't know what it was, but it was dark. It was dreary. It was depressing. It was quiet. Everybody there was hooked up to machines. All you could hear in the hallways were the beeps of the machines over and over. Um, the people's attitudes there were downcast and sad, depressed. They didn't know what was happening to their loved one. There was no joking. There was no laughing. Um, it was quiet. This is not the place you want to be. Right? But I'll never forget 
this man in the room next to us. I'll never forget it. I don't know much about this man. I don't know if he was black or white or rich or poor or homeless or a senator or a drug addict or if he was a husband or a father. I don't know if he's ever read Psalms 48. I don't know. But I know this. He was alone. And he was in excruciating, agonizing pain. I've never heard a man cry out like this. Over and over. The whole floor could hear it. Ah! Oh, you could just hear the pain in his voice. There was gargling in his voice. It was just it was so hard to listen to. But what could we do? There's nothing we could do. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a nurse. We could pray for him, but that's about it. Everybody on the whole unit felt sorry for this guy. Just over and over. Ah! So we sat there and listened to it. And while we were listening, I started to hear words. And they got louder and louder, and the whole floor could hear it. And he said, help me, Jesus. Louder and louder. Help me, Jesus. And at that moment, part of me said, oh, he's calling on the name of our God. Everything's going to be okay. Eventually, maybe not in that moment, but eventually, I can say this guy's my brother. Now, we could all say, well, how do you know he meant it? I believe he meant it. I heard his voice. This man knew who to call on. Romans 10, 13. We've been going through the book of Romans. For anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Either that's true or it's not. We're here today because we know it's true. They sang Psalm 48 in the temple with joy because they knew it was true. The church today should sound like the temple did then, praising our God, right? Psalms 48, this man's mindset is the mindset that we have to have when we read Psalms 48, calling on the name of our God. Our God, our God is a protector. He's a healer. He's a provider. He's so much, for, so much more, right? All the Christian life, we have to have this mindset, not just whenever we're on our deathbed in the hospital, but whenever we wake up to go to work, whenever we go to church, whenever, we're, whenever things are good, whenever things are bad, right? Don't wait to have this guy's experience to call on the name of the Lord, right? But I could say this guy had this right. He knew who to call on. He could have called on a doctor. He could have called on a nurse. He could have called on a medication. He could have called on a buddy. He could have called on his mom. But this guy went straight to the source. He's not wasting any time. He went to the only name that saves. He went to our God. When he said, help me, Jesus, I trust that he meant it, and I, I trust that he got the help that he needed. I don't know if he got up and walked out. I don't know if he got healed in that moment. I don't know if he died and went to be with the Lord and is awaiting to go to Mount Zion. I don't know. But I trust that God is smarter than me, infinitely so, amen. And I trust that God knew exactly what his people needed at that moment. Right. Psalms 48 was written by the sons of Korah temple worship leaders. They had seen God do amazing things. They'd seen God protect Israel over and over in impossible circumstances. And they were saying that God is great. They were worshiping him. My wife, I give her credit for this. She, she showed me this pattern in this psalm, and it's the three Ps. Okay. 
Praise, protection, and proclaim. Praising God because he's great, greater than anything and everything else that we've ever seen. Praising God as a protector and proclaiming it. Right? They were envisioning a time when the whole world would sing God's praises, and they were trying to sing so loud that the next generation could hear it. Let's read through all of Psalm 48 together. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, his holy mountain. Beautiful in elevation is the joy of all the earth. Mount Zion in the far north, the city of the great God, within her citadels, God has made himself known as a fortress. For behold, the kings assembled, they came on together. As soon as they saw it, they were astounded. They were in panic. They took flight. Trembling took hold of them there, anguish as of a woman in labor. By the east wind, you shattered the ships of Tarshish. As we have heard, and so we have seen in the city of the Lord of hosts, in the city of our God, which God will establish forever, Salah. We have thought on your steadfast love, O God, in the midst of your temple, as your name, O God, so your praise reaches to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is filled with righteousness. Let Mount Zion be glad. Let the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments. Walk about Zion. Go around her. Number her towers. Consider well her ramparts. Go through her citadels that you may tell the next generation that this is God, our God, forever and ever. He will guide us forever. This is God's word. Our God is great. His promises are true. He can handle whatever life throws at us, even death. So they worshiped him joyfully. He's not going to lose you. You can trust his promises. Don't lose faith in him. And don't mess with our God. You don't mess with our God. Now, when I read Psalm 48, I think of a fight song. If you know anything about sports at all, you know high school teams and college teams especially have fight songs. Fight songs exist for a reason. Fans want everyone to know that this is my team. I believe in my team. I'm not cheering for any other team. I believe in my team because I've seen what they've done in the past. And make no mistake about it, I'm not switching up. This is my team. I still remember my high school Fight song. Here we go. <laughs> Fight the team across the way. Let's show them North is here. Send the earth reverberating with a mighty cheer. Rah, rah, rah. All right. Emphasis on the rah, rah, rah. I get excited when I hear about that, when I hear that again because I reflect back. When people were singing that song, something good just happened or something good was about to happen. People were singing that song because they believed in their high school, they believed in their team, they wanted everybody to know, hey, I'm for the North Huskies, I'm not for those losers, Central Bears, right? Make no mistake about it, we are North Husky fans, okay? You've seen these super fans, they go to the games, pick your poison, right? IU, Purdue, UK, let's not fight over it, right? Whatever your team is, you know those fans that show up at the game. They've paid, or, or NFL teams, they've paid $2,000 for a seat at these games. 
They get all dressed up. They've got the $500 throwback jersey. They've got, let's say, Colts, right? Because you got to love the Colts, right? Colts fans. They've got their throwback Peyton Manning jersey on because they're remembering back to the time when the Colts were great, right? They haven't lost faith in their team. They're reflecting on the Peyton Manning era whenever Peyton Manning was awesome, right? They got their blue Peyton Manning jersey on. They've got their face painted. They've got a sign to hold up. They've probably got on a blue, one of those dorky blue wigs. They even got blue shoes on, blue socks, and they're going to the game. They're going to yell at the ref. They probably bet on the game. I'm not endorsing betting, right? Don't do it, right? But these fans are wild for their team. They're saying, make no mistake about it, we are a Colts family. <laughs> make, as for me and my house, we cheer for the Colts, right? And you know it because they've got their whole family at the game. They've got little Johnny there, and little Johnny's got on a Peyton Manning jersey. And little Johnny's a Colts fan because daddy told him to be a Colts fan. And mom's there too, and they're like, this is a family thing. We're for the Colts. We're not rooting for those loser Chicago Bears, and we're never going to be caught in those ugly, hideous, green and yellow Green Bay Packers jerseys. We are Colts fans. We're a Colts family. And I'm going to be darn sure that my little boy is a Colts fan for his whole life. Right? That's the attitude that we have to have in the faith. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua had it right. As parents, we have to do everything in our power to make sure that our kids stay with our team. They don't leave the faith. Devotionals, Bible studies, regular church attendance, family prayer. Nobody does it perfectly. But I challenge you to make that part of your family's uh, time together. You'll never regret it. These fans want everybody to know This is our team. We ain't switching up. It's accurate to paraphrase the psalmist like this. This is our God. We believe in our God. We're not tempted to worship idols like these fools over here. It's a lot going on in Israel back then. This is our God. This is our family's God. We're going to make sure of it. We're going to tell the next generation about our God. We're going to raise our kids in the faith. We're going to worship together, and we're going to worship him greatly because he's great. We've seen him do great things in the past, and our God's not a football team. Our God wins, and you don't mess with our God. You don't mess with our God. In verse 1, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, his holy mountain. Beautiful in elevation is the joy of all the earth, Mount Zion, in the far north, the city of the great king. Who's the great king? Softball. Who's the great king? Jesus, God, that's right. Good work. Bonus points. Jesus is the great king. So kids, this psalm's about you. You're the next generation. Parents, you're doing the telling. It's about you too. But who's it also about? It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. The people in the temple, they knew about the promised Messiah to come, the Redeemer to come, to save God's people. Right, so we're in verse 1. It's talking about the great king. And let's say you open up your Bible and you're like, okay, I'm going to study my Bible today. I want to study Psalms 48, 48. And you start off and you read the first verse and you say, okay, great is the Lord, greatly to be praised. All right, let me, get, let me skip through that. I want to get to the meat, the meat of the psalm. I want to get to the good stuff in the middle. Right, and you just skip over the first part. 
Well, you just missed the meat. The first few words, that's the meat. That's the foundation for the whole psalm. That's the foundation for the whole Bible. That's the foundation for our faith. That the Lord is great. Greater than anything and everything that that we've ever seen. If you don't get that part right, you're probably going to miss the rest of the psalm. We have to understand that God is great. Greater than anything we could imagine. But what do we think of when we think something's great? Well, I say naps are great. If I can get a little power nap in the afternoon, maybe 5, 10, 15 minutes, that's great. Right? If I could, uh, you know, not to have to worry about my finances for a long time, that'd be great. Maybe if we all won the lottery, if we were all millionaires after today, that'd be great. Or maybe a few kids. Maybe if Lucas got a new pair of Jordans, that'd be great. Or a new iPhone. Or a new, what is it, Fortnite, that's great. Right, video games are great, kids, right? We got a promotion at work, that'd be great. All these things aren't bad, but they are pale in in comparison to God's greatness. Only God is great. Nothing is great compared to God, not even close. We have to challenge ourselves in that. It doesn't come naturally. We don't wake up in the morning and say, okay, God is great. It's going to be a great day. We don't do that. We don't think that way. We wake up and we have this mundane attitude of, okay, I got to go to work. I got to feed the kids. I got to get everybody to, you know, to school. I got to do this. I got to do that. And we bring that same mundane attitude to worship God. I do it. You do it. I don't know how we get it perfect, but we have to remember that God is greater than anything we would call great. What if there's a creator that made everything? What if there's a creator, an all-intelligent creator, that knows your thoughts, knows how many hairs on your head, knows what you've done, still loves you, wants to forgive you? What if he he promised that the worst thing that could ever happen to you won't happen? Like, what if he promised that you won't die? The Bible calls that eternal life. What if this God promised to make everything new, like the whole earth, and it would be better than anything we could imagine? Like paradise. Like no more backaches, no more mortgages, no more stress, no more anxiety. No more bullies, no more lying. Great. Our God has promised these things. That is what our God has done. That is why we call him great. Our faith tells us that he's promised these things in a very physical place that will come to be at Mount Zion. Right? And if you don't know what Mount Zion is, that's okay, I'm about to tell you. And I want to make it real simple. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you have faith in him, Mount Zion is your future address someday. That is your future destination. That is where you will live, and it will be just like I just explained. No more lying, no more pain, no more tears, no more suffering, no more funerals. 
Picture that on a Zillow listing. Picture that neighborhood. And guess what makes it great? It's not that there's no mortgage payments. <laughs> it's that God is there. He will dwell there. And his people will dwell with them. John gave us a great visual of this in Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither there shall be Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain, for the former things have passed away. Sounds pretty great. Sounds better than Holiday World. Infinitely so. I know kids love Holiday World. I don't. They weigh you before you get on slides there, so. They always, they always put me with a toddler. Right? And it's, anyway. If you have faith in the great king, that's your ticket in. You will be there in this place someday, believer, and we should hope for it, and we should long for it. And that's why they're singing about it in the temple then, because it's going to be awesome. And they were trusting in God's promises because our God does not lie, and he is for us, and he won't lose you. Don't lose the faith in him. Keep your faith, and it is promised that you will surely be there. Let's read on, verses 3 through 8. Within her citadels, God has made himself known as a fortress. For behold, the kings assembled, they came on together. As soon as they saw it, they were astounded. They were in panic. They took flight. Trembling took hold of them there, anguish as of a woman in labor. By the east wind, you shatter the ships of Tarshish. As we have heard and so we have seen in the city of the Lord of hosts, in the city of our God, which God will establish forever. God protects his people. I love the imagery here. Brave, strong men, kings, thinking, hey, let's go take God's holy city. And they get on their boats. One of the boats gets crashed. But while they're on the, before that happens, they're on their way, and they're all amped up for battle. We're going to take it. And then these brave men get a picture of God, and they're astounded. And they start acting like women. These brave men start acting like women that are having a baby. You don't mess with our God. Our God protects his people. God's holy city is protected by him forever. Your life, your very life, as you sit here right now, is protected by God. Doesn't mean that bad things won't happen. But it means that if the worst thing that could happen to you does happen to you, death, You're protected because of your faith. The people in the temple had seen and heard of God's everlasting protection. They felt safe, so they, were, so they worshiped, right? I don't know about you, but I feel pretty safe right now, right? In Evansville, Indiana, in my bed at night, I feel pretty safe. A lot of us have been in unsafe places, 
and yet we could feel pretty safe. We must remember who our God is. He's our protector. Verses 8 and 10. As we have heard and so we have seen in the city of the Lord of hosts and the city of our God, which God will establish forever. In the midst of your temple, we have thought on your steadfast love, O God. In the midst of your temple, as your name, O God, so your praise reaches to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is filled with righteousness. The people in the temple were reflecting. They'd heard it. They'd seen it. So have we. When we think on God's steadfast love and his protection, what do we think of? Do we overlook it? Anybody feel protected right now? Everybody feel safe? Anybody have clean drinking water, a soft bed, a family that loves them? Anybody been healed? Everybody has clothes on, praise God. Everybody's got food in their refrigerator. Has God carried you through anything tough? Every day, right? Has anybody been transformed by the gospel? Has anybody's marriage gotten better? Does anybody have kids that pray? Is anybody breathing? We are so easily distracted. We are so quick to overlook God's protection. We can be so easily distracted to discount things as chance. Well, I'm safe because I'm smart. I've got food because I work. You don't have your next breath if it's not for our God. Praise him. What do we say when people mock us for our faith? What do we say when people say, your God's not that great? What do we say in our own minds whenever we're challenged to think God is great? What do we say when it feels like God is losing? When people mock us for our faith, what do we say? Peter, when people say, hey, Peter, you believe that old book. Or Otto, what do you say when someone says, where's Otto? Otto, what do, you, what do you say when someone at school says, you actually believe that people come back to life? Right? Caroline, what do you say when someone says, you actually believe that people live to be 900 years old? Right? Leo, what do you say when, when someone says, hey, dude, Are you going to actually tell me that you believe that a man was swallowed by a fish, lived in that fish for three days, and then the fish puked him up on the shore where he was supposed to be anyway, and then he preached a sermon that changed the whole nation of evil people? What are you going to say? Right? Here's what you say. Yes, I do believe those things. I totally believe those things. Those aren't just stories. Those are actually actual facts that actually happened. And you don't know my God. Because those stories are nothing, nothing easy for my God to accomplish. You better bow to him or be crushed. Kids, what do you say when you don't fit in school because you're a Christian? What do you say when you're left out because you make choices to honor God? Right? What do you say when you don't get invited to the cool parties or maybe you feel like you don't have a lot of Christian friends? You say, good. 
I don't need those people. I know who my God is. And there's safety. There is safety, real safety, in following Jesus, the great King. Don't be discouraged. You won't get it perfectly. And if you mess up, get up and keep going. Ask God to forgive you. His steadfast love will not lose you. If you mess up at home, if you're disobedient, if you don't obey your parents, which you will, tell your parents you're sorry. Tell God you're sorry. Trust that the blood of Jesus is enough and always will be. Stay in the faith. Don't be discouraged. When you go to school and, and you're, you're committed to fleeing from sin and pursuing things that honor God, take heart that you're doing well. Take heart that you're honoring your parents, that you're making people at your church happy for you. Expect criticism. Don't expect to fit in because he's worth it. Put purity, sobriety, loving your neighbor as yourself, loving God, loving others, treating everybody, and I mean everybody, teachers, students, the kid at the lunch table who nobody wants to sit with. Make a difference for the kingdom of God. Take a stand. Let everybody know that as for me and my house, we serve the Lord because he's worth it. Verses 11 through 14. As your name, O God, so your praise reaches to the ends of the earth. Kind of like a reverberating cheer. Your right hand is filled with righteousness. Let Mount Zion be glad. Let the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments. Walk about Zion. Go around her. Number her towers. Consider well her ramparts. Go through her citadels that you may tell the next generation. The sons of Korah were envisioning a time when the whole earth, everybody on earth, and the new earth would worship God. And they were right. We can't see it yet, but we know our God has promised it, so we know it's true. We know we can trust it. We should pray so, we should pray so loudly that our kids hear it. Our God is just. Our God wins. Our God is not a football team. He's trustworthy. Verses 12 and 13 call us to walk about Zion. How do we do that? The temple was destroyed. It says, consider well her ramparts. Go through her towers. How do we do that? What is a rampart anyway? What's a citadel? What's this have to do with anything? I was talking with a young man about this, and I say this because I want you kids here, and even you adults, I want you guys to know that you guys have a voice. Right, that you guys can make a difference, that you guys can help people in their faith. And I was talking with a young man. He just graduated from uh, Boston last year. He plays linebacker at Hanover University. Uh, he's studying mechanical engineering. Brilliant young man. He just got baptized at a Nazarene Baptist church about four weeks ago. Right, He's my brother. Uh, I love this kid. We were studying this together, and I was going through this passage with him, and I was telling him, hey, I'm going to be preaching on this. And there's some challenges, challenges in here. And I wanted to get his thoughts. I wanted to know what he thought about it. And he read this part, and he said, well, I think it means consider your surroundings. Okay. 
Now, maybe that's not perfect, but I like it. Consider your surroundings. Consider Zion. Consider the true stories of the Bible. Jacob, Isaac, Moses, David, Timothy, Peter, Paul. Most of all, Jesus. Look at your life now. Look at the past. Psalms 48 should give us hope for the future. Right? Look at your life. Does anybody feel protected? Does anybody have clean drinking water? Does anybody have a soft bed? Does anybody have a church that loves them? Has anybody been changed by the gospel? Anybody breathing? All these things are, are true. Yes, 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 and yes. And it's because God is our protector. This is what we tell the next generation. It's the best news that, that anyone can hear. It's the best news that we can tell our kids that our God is great. And he is our guide forever. And anything that you come up against in your life, he's made himself the solution for it. Even death. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. God, I pray that we would challenge ourselves to make you great in our lives and in our homes, God. God, help us to proclaim your good news over our future, over our, our family. Help us to be diligent in our homes about teaching our kids. And God, help our kids to stay in the faith, to flee from sin, to pursue things that please you because you're worth it. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.